0: One, two, three,
1: four. All
0: right. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. We're back.
1: Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. (laughs) Today, (laughs) today we're doing doing stop motion animation films. Okay,
0: animated. Oh no, stop motion animation. Yeah. Okay. Fuck it. Whatever. Stop motion films, guys. (laughs) You understand. All right, let's get started. And you'll understand even more after Julia kicks us off with some background stop motion. I'm gonna get
1: into the background of stop motion. Um. Yes. So. (laughs) Stop motion, as you guys probably know, is an animated filmmaking technique in which a physical object is moved in small increments and photographed at every step, exhibiting independent motion or change when the series of frames is played back. And I'm going to do a brief history of stop motion in cinema, very brief, um, because this would take forever if I went really into that. Yeah, truth. So the first documented stop motion film dates back to 1898. There's no surviving recording of it. It's that old. Um, <laughs> it's that old. <laughs> probably the most like recognizable early stop motion is in A Trip to the Moon yeah, I was in nineteen oh two. Why did you all this- oh, seen Hugo? I'm
0: surprised we haven't talked about A Trip to the Moon already. It comes up in every single like film class any yeah. kind of thing, yep. film-related, it's like a trip to the moon. That's so true. And we do a lot of history stuff, so I'm surprised we haven't, yeah. we haven't talked about well, it. Well, there
1: it is. Here it is George Mellier. You guys seen Hugo? George Mellier. Love that movie. Anyway, so... But the first fully animated stop motion film was called *The Cameraman's Revenge*, and it came out in 1912. A hit children's show series, which ran from 1957 to 1969, was *The Gumby Show*. Gumby. <gasps> Gumby. Yes! Which I didn't realize that he was stop motion. Yeah, I look was at like, that fool. Oh my God, I, well, I had never actually watched it. I've i, have, I had only seen him as a toy. Oh,
0: so that as looks a silly like little toy. The, the toy looks <laughs> exactly how he looks in the show. Which is amazing.
1: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's a that's a big one. And then Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Oh, facts. From
0: 1964.
1: Eat, Papa, eat. Um, okay, then we have first very big one of the sort of modern era, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Came out in 1993 and started in an age dominated by stop motion filmmakers Tim Burton and Henry Selleck.
0: Yay! Yes! Who made
1: James and the Giant Peach together, Corpse Wait. Bride, Coraline. Actually, I don't think Tim Burton did Henry Selleck, or Wait,
0: Tim Burton didn't work on Coraline. No,
1: Tim Burton didn't work on Coraline, but that's the age of movies that was yeah, stop motion. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was sort of spearheaded by those two. So <laughs> the 2000s and 2010s were great for stop motion, giving us Chicken Run. We had Wallace and Gromit. And in more recent years, Wes Anderson has been incorporating stop motion more, bringing a typically like family friendly medium more into the adult sphere with um, Fantastic Mr. Fox mm. and Isle of Dogs. Yes. So it's been booming in recent years boom boom
0: boom booming.
1: um the main types of stop motion are object motion which is moving objects like scissors or something puppet animation and the most common is claymation which is yes. building figures out of clay and wires that can be used more creatively on screen through stop motion animators can just bring inanimate objects to life in a process that requires so much time this is what blew yeah. me away so much time and effort creativity and so much attention to detail that blows
0: me away we talked about this listen to our director's one because we talk about fantastic mr fox with wes anderson just like especially that that one was like crazy but Mm -hmm. just when i watch even when i watch cartoons like i'll be watching spongebob and i'm like this took so long to do yeah it's so impressive what the fuck it took so much artistry that's insane and just to have also like because i mean i guess with you know animation just itself it's a lot it's just you know 2d but when you have to add a 3d element and slowly move all the pieces yeah that seems like so much harder even oh my god and i'm gonna get
1: into it so it takes so many people to make a stop motion movie um for example some of the jobs i found that i think are interesting are there are people called riggers who use like winders and pulleys and all sorts of mechanics to help the animator propel a puppet through space Whoa. So, like, in, um, in Coraline, in the garden scene, you know, when flowers are, like, popping mm-hmm. up and blo- blooming, blooming? <laughs> the blooming. <laughs> um, they're blooming. Those are being propelled by some sort of, like, mechanic or pulley that the rigor has made for the animator to use. So, it kind of makes the animator's life a little bit easier. What? So, they don't have to move every single little thing with their hand. They are moving most things with their hand, but they also have little... Pulleys and
0: things that they push that well, like makes sense mechanics. like tech technologically, but it's yeah. crazy that that they have like where we are in society with like you know technological advances that like yeah of course we have those things, but still most of it is done by hand. Yeah, and I love that because it like it it it's does so like cool. Yeah, the novelty is like it's still there. It's like and it's, it's preserved like the artistry of it, and yeah. it, like I feel like they haven't really done a lot to be like what can we do to make this easier and more marketable. They just like it's the old it way. It sells itself, well, and they ha- they they. We'll continually put effort into it,
1: and the the riggers like the, they're making those handmade too. It's not like yeah, that everything every little process is handmade. Like they're <gasps> still putting in a lot of work. So I just love that it's for just them. incredible. You also have people who knit. I like these are just things I didn't think about that really blow my mind. You have people who have to knit clothes, tiny little clothing, <gasps> little
0: gloves and Coraline, the little mittens or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely everything you see on the screen has been like tediously crafted by hand to make this work. And so, a little bit more background about specifically Coraline's production, because if you haven't, if you can't tell by now, I'm talking about Coraline, okay, (laughs) I love that movie. So, in Coraline, this means every single little blade of grass has been individually painted. Oh my god. There's, like, they have, like, a drawer full of facial expressions made for just one piece of dialogue. So, to exemplify just how long this process took, Coraline took over four years to make More than 500 people were involved over those years, and on average, each animator completed anywhere from 2.22 to 6.52 seconds of footage per week. What the fuck? Fuck. that's how long this takes no oh, wonder it took four years oh they were god. only doing like six seconds total each week but the result is it's it, amazing it, it's amazing it's yeah. like magical and yeah. it looks fluid Coraline had about 28 identical puppets and over 6,300 face replacements for her character alone oh my god think about how many puppets where exp- do they every, keep every them. little detail they have like a warehouse let's get into the plot Okay, plot. <laughs> okay, so it was directed by Henry Selick, as I, sh- uh, as, A- I as I said, <laughs> <laughs> as I shat as myself. I as <laughs> I Um, as I said, and he also directed *Nightmare Before Christmas* and *James and the Giant Peach*. Y'all. Yes. And he adapted *Coraline* from Neil Gaiman's best-selling dark fantasy children's novel *Coraline*. And you haven't read it, have you? No, I have because oh, I have read The it. graphic novel is just an adaptation of the novel. It okay. still is the novel. So, kind of. Yeah. that Yeah. That's so, cool. I've read the graphic novel, which was crazy. Who illustrated the graphic novel?
0: Because I read the book, but I, I didn't know. know there was a graphic novel. I don't know who illustrated it. Hmm. Interesting. We gotta dig it up somewhere. But
1: it's really good. It was a good graphic novel. Henry Selleck adapted it, and he also built on it. Like, Wybee was not a, a character. Yeah. And I, I think that. some of the neighbors weren't characters. So It was, was really more. It was on. a lot more
0: boring, for sure. Sorry, yeah. no gaming. But it was like, Sorry. it's like a novella. I think it was like 100 pages yeah, or something it was like short. that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it follows Coraline Jones, voiced by Dakota Fanning. She's a blue-haired, bratty girl who moved into the Pink Palace, a dilapidated old house in rainy, gray Oregon. 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 The main reason for Coraline's brattiness is her resentment towards her busy parents, who (laughs) are writers working on a garden catalog. They also, she's mad at them because they moved her away from her friends back in Michigan and her home and whatever and they don't really have the time to entertain her. Generally, she just has a lot of pre-adolescent angst towards everything and everyone. We begin with Coraline's family as they're moving into the Pink Palace and she explores the mountainous grounds around the house, finding a super deep well all of a sudden, a boy on a bike with some crazy skull mask scares the <laughs> that, shit out of my that girl. That was actually
0: me as a kid. I was I, I was a kid <laughs> with the crazy skull mask <laughs> who was
1: unhinged. I love YB. But he turns out to be a harmless, sweet little weirdo. Little guy. Named YB, whose grandma owns the Pink Palace, and she lived there as a child. YB tells Coraline that his grandma doesn't usually rent the place to people with children because her sister went missing there as a child. YB also has this lanky black cat with him who isn't his, but he feeds it. Oh. Keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> Later True back brother. home, Coraline finds out that YB has left a doll wrapped in newspaper on their porch with the note, Hey, Jonesy, look what I found in grandma's truck.
0: Look familiar? YB. Because it, it has the, like, voiceover. over. <laughs> whitey hey jonesy <laughs> look what i found in grandma's trunk look familiar white whitey
1: <laughs> <laughs> i said it just like that and spookily the doll looks exactly like Coraline. Bum, bum. same blue hair yellow rain jacket but with
0: eyes made of buttons
1: anyway also i think it's funny how sh- she says she's way too old for dolls but ends up carrying it around with her everywhere
0: that's <laughs> what i like about her though it's so, it's so realistic because like she is in that phase of like mm, i'm growing out of the- all this kid yes. stuff but you see her room and it's still all these toys and like right. she's playing outside and like digging around in the dirt yes. and like that kind of stuff so it's like exactly. i don't know i think it's it's true to adolescence.
1: after being bored and nagging her parents for attention her dad tells her to take a notebook and count all the doors and windows in the house as a distraction technique, because they are fed up with this girl. So, she explores the creaky old Victorian house, counting everything, and she stumbles upon a tiny little door in the living room. I would lose my mind. Which has been sealed shut. Bum, bum. Uh, She begs her mom to find a key that opens the door, and she finds one um, and opens it, but it turns out to be a bricked-up wall. And her mom says it must have been bricked up when they divided up the house into flats because the house is divided into three separate Apartment. flats. That night, she goes to sleep, but is awoken by the sounds of a squeaking
0: mouse in her room. I would shit my pants. Dude, I'd be freaking. Fuck no, she mouse my She gets way too excited. Room. She's like, mouse? One time I saw him. Well, yeah, there was a mouse in in the basement of my uh, parents' house. Oh, yeah, house, you're talking about that. Dead on the floor. And I dead. freaked out. <laughs> dead on the floor. <laughs> dead on the floor. <laughs> i was freaking out though like if there was one al- alive oh god remember when we saw that one at king supers oh no safeway oh, guys the
1: safe see- yeah Evans. The- <laughs> um don't you go. heard it here
0: first just kidding i'm going right after this to pick up some stuff but no there yeah i saw a mouse scurry across scurry the floor in there across. my jaw dropped in a grocery store that's, that's pretty bad. foul but i bet it happens a lot like come on oh, the yeah. doors are open sure. like oh it my makes god. sense yeah. it makes so sense. I, I don't put it past them Anyway,
1: so she, yeah. She, anyway, she hears a squeaking mouse. <laughs> anyways, yeah, oh, anyways. <laughs> I was, I was to do that. And she follows it into the hall. Weirdly, I, she's like so. <laughs> I guess she's just so bored that she's like, "Mouse, let me chase it." Well, like, when she's he's has like beckoning you, do. he's like, "Hi." He was kind of beckoning her, and it's yeah. very like a, it's very dream-like, you know. Yeah. Anyway, she follows it, leads it, and it leads her downstairs into the living room through the creepy little door she opens it expecting it to be a brick wall again but when she this time she opens it and it's a glowing tunnel and it leads to another tiny little door when she enters she's in a much brighter and happier version of her gray depressing apartment. warm tones
0: warm tones warm
1: tones compared to the gray sad tones of her real apartment the drab the drabbiness yeah so she goes into the kitchen to find who she thinks is her mom, making Just dinner in the middle of the up. night. Yeah, and but then her mom turns around, and awesome. she has buttons for eyes. And so she explains that she's Coraline's other mother, and then she tells her to go fetch her other father for supper, dear. <laughs> for supper, dear. <laughs> so Coraline meets her. Coraline's confused. She's like, uh okay bitch okay <laughs> she goes and meets her other father who also has button eyes and he's just like way jazzier and more fun than her and real dad
0: he sings a little tune yes by the we might be giants guy that's what jeremy told us oh yeah The hero and you can hear it in that song you're like this is we might be giants they, is it? they might wait we might be giants is that the is that the name of the band i don't know Sing Making a little a birdhouse in corn. your soul yeah. same key as birdhouse in your soul wow
1: Anyway, Anyways. that's crazy. Um, yeah, he makes a little tune for her on his magical
0: piano that plays him. It's definitely They Might Be Giants. Make sure <laughs> to edit that be. out. I, I think he said We Might Be. <laughs> they Might Be Giants. We Might Be Giants. We, 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 <laughs> us two, might be giants.
1: So, yeah. So, she's like, damn, these other parents are super fun. And then they have this banging dinner um the chandelier is, milkshake yeah the chandelier is filled with like elixirs of milkshakes and <laughs> there's a choo-choo train that delivers the gravy it's a child's dream it's lit it's my dream it's my dream yeah <laughs> what <laughs> i am a child but it's my and dream too. she just she's just getting spoiled in ways her real parents never do for her damn all the while there's this kind of creepy eerie music playing which makes everything feel dreamlike and slightly unsettling the soundtrack is so, it's so good, good i love it it's so creepy she wakes up and she's back in the real world and tells her parents about the dream. Once her parent, once again, her parents really don't care about it and they tell her <laughs> to go tell the basement tenants Miss Pink and about it. On the way there, she realizes that she that they've received Mr. Bobinski's mail.
0: Mr. Bobinski. He's the tenant who
1: lives in the apartment above and he's this very eccentric, like Russian acrobat, I guess. Who's blue? Why is he blue? And he's blue. Yeah, he's blue skin and. Just a strange body shape. Volvinsky,
0: I tell Wal-bins-gi. the rats to play diddle-dee. What does he say? <laughs> but all they do is a doodle-doo. <laughs> Some, <laughs> Some shit, shit like, like that. that. <laughs> yeah, so he's training
1: a jumping mice circus. <laughs> that's That's his <laughs> hobby of choice. And he gives her this cryptic warning, telling her that the mice told him to tell her, do not go through little door do you know such a thing she's like hmm that's weird how does he know about that how do the mice know about that but she goes on her merry way anyway and she goes down to meet miss spink and forcible two eccentric old ladies who used to be theater stars yes now they
0: basically it's julia and i in the future so it's just us. think about that yeah
1: mm. <laughs> now they just bicker and have like 500 <laughs> scottish terriers which i think is so funny i love them i love how when, Literally us. when Coraline walks in <laughs> miriam says april I think you're being followed. Miss <laughs> Spink reads her tea leaves and sees like a spooky hand reaching from the ground. And she tells Coraline she's in terrible danger. But Miss Forcible says, I, I see a dwarf. dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's so such a funny, funny. dynamic. So, funny. so now Coraline has had, she's been given multiple signs by her crazy neighbors, but she assumes they're just crazy. So she's not really like, you know, yeah, she's like, shut the fuck up, you yeah, old... Yeah, she's not giving them credence. Yeah. But she's so depressed and unhappy with her reality that one night she intentionally leaves cheese out Gone so by. that the mouse will come back and lead her to the other world, which she will continually return to. Dun dun. So in the other world, she again gets spoiled by her parents, who make this beautiful garden in the shape of her face. Lit. She meets an alternate version of Wybie, who can't speak... <laughs> Some because shit. it honestly is fucked up because she gets like annoyed with yb and like doesn't want to hear his voice and they go to see this jumping mice circus put on by the other bobinski which is super lit later she goes back to the other world and she sees this crazy like trapeze show put on by miss and enforceable and then she also meets yb's black cat and she's like are you the other cat and he's like i'm not the other anything I mean So he can basically talk in the other world, and he also warns Coraline that the other mother is not
0: as she seems, because he's like a he. He can he like sh- he is shifting between dimensions. Yeah, he's as like, like his own. He's like following Coraline as they go between right. both. Where everyone else is like the other.
1: You know, she's loving it here and uh, having a grand old time being spoiled. Then the other mother says, "You could stay here forever if you want to, under one condition." Coraline must have buttons sewed in her eyes
0: she well, she, and she's like you can have them in black is traditional but you can <laughs> have them in pink chartreuse vermilion, vermilion. <laughs> and I, I was a kid I was like the fuck is vermilion I know I like
1: learned colors yes from that. me too I learned chartreuse, chartreuse from that too, yeah yeah Coraline is not having this she's like I don't want buttons sewed in my eyes she freaks fuck out no. she goes to bed tries to you know just fall asleep and assumes that she'll wake up in the other world but she does not She wakes up and she's still there. Oh, bitches suck. So she tries to escape and meet, runs into the cat again and they walk into the well or they walk towards the, they walk into the well. They're like,
0: goodbye. (laughs) They're
1: like, fuck, what can we do? They walk towards the well, but everything starts to disintegrate around her because the other mother only made what she thought would impress Coraline. The other mother continually gets angrier at Coraline and then she morphs into this like seven foot tall skeleton spider-like creature it's fucking terrifying it's terrifying she throws Corline into the hall mirror which is like sort of a portal into this dark scary little dungeon where the ghosts of past children who have been like hypnotized by the other mother live they're just ghosts
0: but yeah basically like imprisoned by her imprisoned and yeah. like that did they did do the buttons for eyes, right? Those yeah. are the kids that did do it. Yeah,
1: so they, they were the kids who they were also spied on through the little doll. The little doll is made in their image, and then it spies on the kids, sees that they're unhappy. The other mother creates this other world for them, and then they eventually, like, let her sew buttons in their eyes. When they do that, basically the other mother just, like, gets tired of them and then throws them in this dungeon. Basically, like, eats up their souls. Yeah, doesn't she, like, use them souls. to like, power? Yeah, Yeah. something and, like that. And, like, life. That. Mm-hmm. Her life form is children's souls. Basically, it's really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> it's and really scary. Really fucked up. So, but the one way they can get their souls back is to um get their real eyes back. So they're like, "Please, Miss,
0: return our eyes." Or whatever Aren't they, they like dead and gone though? This is like a million well, years. Well, they they
1: on. are dead, but it's like. Basically, they'll be able to, like, rest oh, oh in peace if God. they have their eyes. Their
0: souls will be free. They, they won't be it's stuck like in the, that world anymore. Because it's, like, the gateway into the soul or whatever. Yeah. Eyes. Oh.
1: Coraline, she manages to make it back through the other door, which is all gross and dirty now. But when she gets back, she discovers that her parents are missing because the other mother has kidnapped them. This bitch is crazy. How does she have
0: time to do all this? Dude. She's cooking. She's kidnapping. She's building a whole <laughs> world. Like... Honestly, girl she's boss, <laughs> girl boss. She runs the show too because the husband yeah, is just like her, her subservient little yeah. pawn, which is kind of sad. Yeah, but
1: she's running everything. Then she has to go on this long. She has basically she has to go back to save her parents. And she says to the cat, "I have to go back."
0: Oh my god, <laughs> she says it's so funny. It's like so <laughs> Minnesota, and she's like, "I can't." Or no, she's from Michigan. Michigan yeah. she. Oh well. That's still, basically the same still Midwest, thing. Still yeah. Midwest accent. She's like, I have to go back. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? So funny. They're like, you really gotta amp it up for this this dialogue. Just that one part. Yeah. What the fuck? Um. So basically, she has to go through.
1: She has to go back through the little door with the help of the cat and find the children's eyes, which are hidden in the three wonders made for Coraline. So, the garden, the Mr. Bobinski's circus, and the theater downstairs. This is the nightmare material that scarred an entire mm-hmm. generation right here. No, when literally she's going through these little scenes, and jump
0: scares for days. Oh my god, yeah, because yeah. all
1: the all the neighbors and people have been transformed into these like super
0: creepy villains Mr. that the, are trying to kill her. For some reason, the, the Bobinsky one is like so scary. That one is like, creepy. I don't know why. He's like, oh why? His voice is all fucked I up. His, He's his flopping voice around. Is scary. It's so scary. And the music is just yeah, really yeah, creepy. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> she makes it back. I'm not gonna go into the whole spider web thing, yeah, no. but you know, her parents are fine. They have no memory of what happened, but they're fine. They're like, you dumb bitch. What are you talking <clears throat> like, about? What the fuck's wrong with you? Get a grip. She thinks everything's well, but then she has a dream where the ghost children come to her, and they're finally at rest. They're in heaven. Great, but they're like, you're in terrible danger, miss. So, she has to go to the well. Why did they be calling her Miss? I don't know. They're, like, very They're polite. They're, like, the same. <laughs> <laughs> They're super polite. So, she has to throw the key in the well so that no one can ever enter the, you know, other place again. Yeah. Um, but little did she know that when she was escaping the other mother her hand like disconnected in the door her creepy skeletal like needle hand fell off in the door and it's now it's in the real world it's scurrying
0: around and it's, it's scurrying around
1: and it as she's like going to the well her disembodied hand comes up and tries to you know drag her drag Coraline into the well so then my man Wybie rolls up King. saves the day again Proving that he did believe her, and he was a true friend. Slay, and so she was like,
0: all I wanted was you to shut up.
1: Yeah, she was being a bitch to him, but then, afterwards, she learns her lesson. So they fight the hand and then throw it into the well, and all is well. And then we end with the neighbors and friends all together, including YB and his grandma, having a little garden party. And Coraline is a changed girl. I'm Coraline Jones. I'm Coraline Jones. (laughs) I've got so much to tell you. So she has way more appreciation and respect for YB the cat, her parents, her life, her wacky little neighbors. And that's basically the moral of the story is to be careful what you wish for and be grateful for what you have. Yes. So obviously it takes like lots of classic fairy tale elements, um, which fairy tales are dark. So it makes sense Mm -hmm. why this is kind of dark. The Grimm brothers. Yeah. That's what Selleck Selleck described it as a blending between Alice in Wonderland and a Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah. Which is so true. Perfect. So, let's get into the legacy. This will be quick. The animation landscape in the late (laughs) 2000s was dominated by Pixar and Disney, but Laika Studios, which is the one that produced Coraline, um, they proved that, like, this old-fashioned painstaking technique of stop motion could still flourish alongside Shrek and Woody.
0: Yes! (laughs)
1: Because even though there had been some, like, stop motion hits in the past, like, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas and whatever, they took so long to animate, so studios were, like, reluctant to get on board. Yeah and also they they're just about money they're like let's do it fast exactly. and let's you know
0: exactly assembly line
1: right for also because the storyline was so scary they didn't think it would be good for children but selic said it's for brave children
0: of all ages Oof, which yes. i think
1: is sweet because it's about bravery it's like it's yeah. about a, like a Courage brave intelligent yeah. girl
0: who has to no like cuz i was remember when we were watching we literally watched this the other day but i was like <laughs> she is brave like yes. i would be i'd be like brave. fuck that, i'd be trying to run away like lock the door and like not have to deal with that but like she is going and she's like okay I'll make a fucking deal with you other mother like she's like oh my she's god she's yeah. smart and she's brave I'm like dude that's wow. why
1: because like yeah it is scary and it did like scar a whole generation but I think everybody still enjoys it. Like, everybody who watched it still I likes say, it. I wouldn't
0: say we're scarred by it. I, I think scarred. it, like, brought those kids, those weird spooky. kids that liked horror and, like, spooky stuff like well, us. Yeah. We love that shit. We ate that shit right. up. Well, it shows how, like,
1: studios don't have to, like, condescend to kids. They exactly. don't need to make something super lighthearted. Like, kids like a little bit of a scare, too. Yeah. It was very well received critically. It was nominated for Best Animated Feature, but lost to Up. Which I was like, tough competition, because there's oh, a lot of really good animated up, movies up out. That is good, yeah. At that time. It also did pretty well financially, it grossed over 124 million worldwide, and making it the third highest grossing stop motion film of all time I after th- Chicken Run and Wallace and Gromit. Chicken so Run! Chicken, chicken Run is even bigger. I love chicken. And of course, it's remained a cult favorite. I <laughs> So, guys, I loved Coraline so much. I was so obsessed with it that I got my hair cut like her. I wanted to dye it blue, but my mom was like, don't. girl no that's too, far. too much <laughs> that's too far but then i also was just like acting like her like brooding being like like writing things down like a little notebook and being broody and <laughs> then i tried to be like this is which is weird because this is what yb does like not even coraline yeah but i wrap i found like an old key wrapped it in newspaper and threw it on my neighbor's porch with a little note that was just like yb so I was like hey neighbor i found this key is it yours julia
0: (laughs) what did they say though they like read it and they were like they came i
1: threw it on their porch they came by one day and they were like we found this key no it's not ours (laughs) they like looked at me like i was a freak they were like what the fuck is up with your weird daughter and my parents were like okay and then just took it back <laughs> it was so funny came back and was like <laughs> that's the thing about what? having kids like you're constantly embarrassed by them like that's low-key embarrassing i we're was embarrassed. embarrassed i remember i was embarrassed i was like oh my god they weren't actually supposed to find <laughs> it and like give it back and like oh my, my parents god. weren't supposed to know that i did this i was like that's super so funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway that shows my dedication
0: to this movie. yeah this was you were on your coralline grind i really was alluded to it but the movie i'm doing today is james and the giant peach i forgot about it and like till recently when we watched it and we were like why did we think of that why were we like james and the giant peach i don't know because it's so it's so good freaky. honestly okay yeah. anyways so james and the giant peach is a 1996 live action and claymation movie directed by henry selick and produced by tim burton so we got our man's henry Teams just loaded on this episode this is dedicated to you henry (laughs) but yeah as you know they worked on nightmare before christmas together yada 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 we, we discussed um it's based on the book by roald dahl and the screenplay was written by carrie kirkpatrick jonathan roberts and steve bloom Hmm. all right let's get into this plot summary um i did it all from memory and slight clips because we watched it recently but that was like about two months ago yeah. so i just went into the depths of my memory the movie begins with an idyllic family at the beach they're looking up at the clouds it's a it's a weird vibe already from the beginning like this yeah the, the scene setting is like strange the beach is like not quite a beach like you can tell they are yeah. not on a beach but it's very like dream like and like very dream weird a lot like Coraline in that way where it's yeah. like well, something's not quite right They're looking up at the clouds, talking about the shapes that they see in them. And James is all like, look, that one looks like a train engine. (laughs) They're like so fucking British. I'm Uh, like, okay, bro. Um, But all of a sudden a storm kicks in. And, you know, this isn't very like, this isn't explained very well in the movie. There's a lot of things like that that just aren't explained very well. Um, But a giant rhinoceros in the sky (laughs) (laughs) comes and sweeps up James's parents. Um, I guess like kills them. Not explained very well, but they're gone. They're dead from the rhino. Um, and I think that's supposed to be like a metaphor or something, you know, just like kid stuff of like his parents died and they told him it was a rhinoceros in the sky. Or like he has some right. traumatic. He, it's, it's a coping mechanism for his trauma or something. For sure. So anyways, James is now an orphaned child living with his aunts Spiker and Sponge. <laughs> um, they're even scarier than the rhinoceros. They are terrifying. Spiker is like a like coked up like jane lynch like she's (laughs) scared is she not anyways his bitch aunts are like freaking out one night about (laughs) (laughs) this is my story, freaking out about a spider in their house so james picks it up he's like oh my god guys he picks it up and he whisks it away frees it outside and while he's out there he's just taking a little stroll and another unexplained element appears some random guy with weird like oh yeah that was civil war era like like garb you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. the patches it looks like he's in like some type of like big band like marching band type thing mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it's really weird um but he just goes up to him and he's like james i have this gift for you like just some random fucking guy <laughs> i don't know And he get some these things called magical crocodile tongues mm. also unexplained they look like Fusilli pasta, <laughs> honest, and uh, literally, they're like tiny little glow worms. They're like green. They look like fusilli pasta. <laughs> they're like tiny little green, they're like glow radioactive fusilli pasta. No, yeah, literally, literally, and so he gives him this, like, in his hands, but this this motherfucker drops them, like they. Well, I mean, they're bouncing around, so like I get right, it, and they, they jump come out of his hand and they like go towards this big tree. Um, so big L for him, but anyways, his ants come outside and they're like. Get back to work, like, making him do chores and shit and, like, basically be their slave. But as he's walking <laughs> away, he sees a little peach growing on the tree, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and bigger and, and bigger. the ants are like, hold the fuck up. So this – basically the peach just gets to, like, an enormous size. Right. Right um and the ants see it and are hyped because they they look at it and they see dollar dollar bills dollar signs Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. so they basically set up shop and kind of make it as like a tourist attraction where people are coming in to pay to see the peach which like you know baller move if they weren't such a a giant peach yeah like come come and take a look take take a a look at it get a cop a feel (laughs) that night the ants are just basking in their success they're like eating their little (laughs) dinner drinking their wine Um, but they send James home James home James to bed with no dinner no reason why. They just fucking hate you. They his guts. are
1: like abusive. Someone yeah. called child services. I'm
0: saying CPS, where you at? Okay, so he goes to his room and he starts to do some arts and crafts. He makes a little lantern out of a popcorn bag Aww. and draws a little picture of him flying to New and York. And he's singing that it. little song. And he's singing a little song. <gasps> um, because his parents like, were. I am James, or so. <laughs> it's pretty off key. It's it's kind of. Embarrassing to watch, but like his him and his parents were like gonna move to New York. Yeah, that was like their dream. Yeah, and they was like, yeah, and then they died by the rhino. So that's kind of sad. Sad. Um, but yeah, he's also revisited by the little spider that that he whisked away, and he just sets her up on a little web, and they're like pals. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the night, though, (laughs) James decides to go out and check on the peach on his lonesome. Probably because he's hungry as fuck, going to bed without dinner. Oh he's my like, god! Yeah. He's like catching a whiff. He's like, god mm-hmm, damn! He gets up. Like peach. Yeah, he gets up and he's like, let me check this shit out. Um, so he's sniffing the peach. He's salivating, and then he just <laughs> digs in. You know, he's like, mm, let me get a, argh, let me get a taste <laughs> of that peach. <laughs> but right where the spot where he dug out, uh, this is just does not make sense because if you think about how big this peach is. Mo- most of it is peach. Is peach. Flesh. Yes. Will. So he takes like a tiny little bit of it and eats it, but where he took that bite, like there's like a, like a giant, hole. yeah, perfect <laughs> hole leading in and it's like glowing green out. Coraline. Yeah kind wow. of similar vibes Weird. but what's even more like Coraline is james then enters into the hole of the peach right. and it's very similar to that like tunnel feel yeah, of Coraline. yeah. but as he's entering so everything up until this point is live action as he's entering into the peach everything he's transforming into a claymation version of himself yeah he enters into the peach so cool um and when he's inside he finds several human sized anthropomorphic <laughs> did i say that right anthropomorphic zone? yeah invertebrates <laughs> Invertebrates. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs, if you will. <laughs> so insects. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got, these, these are also, now everything up until this point is um, claymation within the peach. Yeah. We got Mr. Grasshopper, Mr. Centipede, Mrs. Spider, Mr. Earthworm, Miss Ladybug, and Miss Glowworm. And they all slay. Fun fact, <laughs> the the centipede is voiced by Richard Dreyfuss, who played Hooper in Jaws. Um, and then, of course, the spider is Susan Sarandon. And I got a little fun fact about that at the end as well. Anyways, the Bugs, like, have this little song. So much music in this. There is a lot of music. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get it to that as well. But they have a little song, um, but they're interrupted when they hear Spiker and Sponge outside calling for James. So Mr. Centipede takes matters into his own hands <laughs> and decides to cut the stem of the peach, and they go tumbling away. Tumbling. They go tumbling so far as to land in the Atlantic Ocean, where they're on their way like, to the Big Apple In the big beach. Well, that was convenient. I know. But it doesn't all go smooth sailing. Oh, no, it does not. Um, My plot, I'm going to do this pretty pretty quick because there's not a whole... I'm not going to go super in-depth with this one. On their way to New York, they face a few obstacles, as every great explorer does. Um, (laughs) Yes, because they are explorers pioneering pioneering the West. Pioneering in the beach. Um, For starters, they face a giant mechanical shark. Um, That scene is terrifying. Honestly all of them most are most of this is scary and it feels very yeah you can f- like see the tim burton oh, form yeah you know you because i think up until this point tim burton didn't do a lot of um stop motion stuff i think this is one of his first yeah um because he did like beetlejuice he did stuff like that but this was kind of like his first dive into it so you can see the the start of it all they also face a bunch of pirate skeletons that attack them um and they one of them looks exactly like jack skellington and so they kind of just took that and ran with it um for nightmare before christmas which came out i think two years later so wow same duo they were like well shit we already got these skeletons from the last one let's just use them up (laughs) and you can see how well you can see how henry Selleck was
1: probably influenced Mm -hmm. by james and the giant peach for Coraline too yeah oh yeah they're all connected they're all
0: really connected wow and when they thought that was enough no the rhino comes back this bitch like you already killed his parents you're gonna come back and try to Mm -hmm. kill him and his bug friends literally bitch come on so he comes back (laughs) bitch. (laughs) (laughs) that rhino (laughs) bitch um he comes back and he tries yeah to whisk them away but james is brave being a brave kid he stands up to the rhino basically yells at this bitch like you're not gonna take me and my friends or something like that (laughs) um yells at him and basically scares off the rhino and saves him and his friends
1: yes
0: isn't it like him sort of like living up to his fears because he's yeah. like i'm all
1: afraid of you yeah god. and that's the thing it's like
0: a metaphor for <laughs> like you know t- childhood trauma and like facing your your fears and that oh, kind of that stuff.
1: makes sense i know it's kind of sad
0: and i'm going to talk about roald dahl at the end and it all ties back to his childhood oh as well.
1: my god yeah it's it's
0: crazy so wow. ah, so yeah that's why i'm going to wrap this up fast because i have kind of a different angle that i'm taking with my discussion afterwards mm-hmm. um the peach ends up in new york city where they land on top of the Empire State Building in style which is like how 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 did it it flung how did it (laughs) yeah how did it fling up lands on it and architecturally how heavy is this peach right and and can that tiny little point of the empire state building really hold the peach that's a good you know logistically get the scientists in here i mean if it logistically if it was
1: swimming through the atlantic ocean it would be. It would be waterlogged. Ew! Yeah, yeah. be
0: moldy.
1: Uh, <laughs> no way, that was like a There's sustainable <laughs> <laughs> boat. You know <laughs>
0: what? Okay. Well, you know, most of it is very dreamlike and yeah. not realistic. So let's just you children's know. movie. Yeah. So yeah, they land on top of the Empire State Building. The police show up. You know, it's a huge thing. There's a fucking peach up there. So everyone's like, "What the fuck is <laughs> going on?" There's firefighters, and and all of a sudden, this is also this is also unexplained. The ants show up. They're in New York. How'd oh they? yeah, how they get there? I mean, there? I guess if they flew, how do they know?
1: Yeah. They assume just assumed,
0: it. like, this bitch just went on his merry way to New York in the peach. Like, mm, I wouldn't assume that. They did. <laughs> so they <laughs> like, did. I guess we're going to New um, York. Unexplained, they assumed that, and they show up. They're trying to get James back um, because they want the sweet, sweet goods of the peach. And they're like, <laughs> oh, like, come back home. Like, blah, 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 blah. We're such good aunts. Um, but James tells the crowd. Um, That's surrounding the site that the ants were terrible to him and like abused him and the ants get mad and they threaten him with stolen fire axes. Remember, they're like wielding them like, ah, come down. (laughs) They are fought off by the bugs. They're like stopped. The bugs are like, hey, ladies, calm down. And then they get arrested and whisked away. So, James offers the peach up to a bunch of kids who eat it, and we flash forward to see the pit of it turn into a little cottage located in Central Park. This is so cute! (laughs) In the peach pit cottage, the Bugs and James live peacefully, and not only are the Bugs living happily, they're also hella successful in New York. Mr. Centipede (laughs) runs for mayor, Mrs. Spider opens her own music club, Mr. (sighs) Grasshopper becomes a concert violinist, and the best of all, Miss Glowworm becomes the light in the torch of the (laughs) Statue of Liberty. (laughs) that's the best job you <laughs> that's could possibly literally have amazing. And she's so funny she's like a little glasses i love uh, those characters they're all so i know funny. they're amazing um and james is happy to have a real family now um they celebrate his like sixth birthday together or whatever and they're all just living happily ever after oh he gets like adopted basically yeah he gets adopted bugs. by these bugs that's the life i want to live like are you kidding in new bug. york so, yeah a lot of weird things according like, like the bug thing mm-hmm. there's that same like You know wishing for a different life that kind of thing but in this case it was like escaping his horrible like conditions and like
1: using his imagination
0: to cope with all the horrible stuff in his life so want some fun little facts about the movie yeah okay here's some the movie was done in both live action and stop motion to cut down costs because it took 12 years to make to like get approved because they just like didn't know if it was fit as like a kid's movie and Roald Dahl just believed that it would like never happen oh um and on that you know there's tons of other role doll adaptations including fantastic mr fox the bfg charlie and the chocolate factory the witches matilda all that and um so good he commented after the first one which is in 1971 the gene wilder charlie and the chocolate factory Mm -hmm. he commented that he doesn't like the idea of books being turned into films Hmm. um but for whatever reason he just kind of like gave the rights to them anyways i think it was just for profit for him at that point but he was like i don't like the idea of my movies or my books being turned into movies Hmm. So, Susan Sarandon, who voices a spider, is married to Chris Sarandon, who voices Jack Skellington in oh The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, my I had no idea. No idea. That's so But what cool. a weird little, like, coincidence. I love how
1: the worlds are so connected. I
0: know. Um, so, this movie is only one of about 13 Disney movies that are stop motion. There's really not a lot, you know, and that's, like, kind of the thing. It's, like, that's why it's weird that it is a Disney movie because yeah. there's all the other, other ones that were different production companies doing stop motion. Yeah. But Disney doesn't, that's not really their thing. Hmm. Um, And it was the only, th- the second, and I think that was the last one that they, that they did that blended live action and animation. The first being who framed Roger Rabbit. One of my faves. Hey. um, Randy Newman known for his work in toy story, all the music in that. Um, did the soundtrack for the movie but the original pick was Andy Partridge from XTC but there's a lot of movies from Roald Dahl like I said that are adaptations and I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about Roald Dahl and his impact just on children's movies and the imaginations of children for sure so across multiple generations too yeah exactly yeah Um, because his books were all written um he died in 1990 so they were all written of course (sighs) before that with Matilda being like his last one that he wrote um so but then now we see all the movies you know james and the giant peach was like the first one that was 1994 so it just spans you know the most recent i think was the witches which they made i think last year they did they redid that one. Oh. so they still mm. are doing it and bfg i think that was 2016 uh, so no, yeah BFG. they it's just expanded all throughout time uh. so Dahl began writing james and the giant peach in 1959 it was his first real attempt at writing a children's book um and it was released in 1961 Um, Other sources say that the first actual children's book he wrote was *The Gremlins*, published in 1943, which could have been an inspiration for Spielberg's Uh, *Gremlins*.
1: No way. Because the kind of
0: the like little gremlins in that book, people say. I think Spielberg has even said that he took inspiration from Roald Dahl.
1: No way. Yeah, isn't that crazy?
0: Yeah, really cool. Um, so Dahl was born September 13th, 1916, in Landorf, Wales. And passed on November 23rd in 1990, as I said, at the age of 74. Um, his childhood was, was marked by a lot of tragedy when his sister and father both died when he was three years old. And the boarding school that he went to, um, he experienced a lot of abuse there from the teachers. And he writes about this experience in his book, his memoir, Boy, which is really good. And I read that, I think, when I was in, like, I think it is from, like, middle grade age kids. I read it when I was in, like, fifth grade, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's just about his experience in, like, with his childhood he talks a lot about, like, just, like, the real trauma and stuff that he faced. That sounds like Matilda, like, the boarding school where she's mistreated. He says that Matilda, Matilda's, like, probably the closest that he draws a lot of his childhood on. Because she talks about, like, you know, I read all, like, the children's books already. Like, what am I going to move on to in the library? Like, reading the adult books. Like, yeah. he said that that was him a lot of the time. It's just like, reading everything he could. So Matilda was largely based on his life. Right, his what you know. So Dahl graduated high school or preparatory school, whatever the fuck they call it. Those Brits. And then um, he didn't end up going to college, but instead joined on an expedition to Newfoundland. And then he worked in Tanzania for a few years. He was really a world traveler. Um, He then enlisted in the Royal Air Force at the start of World War II. And in 1940, he experienced a severe crash because he was a pilot um, in either Libya or Egypt. Sources say both kind of in that region. But after recovering, he was recruited by the British Security Coordination, um, which is a covert espionage network established by britain's m16 intelligence service to spy on the u.s (gasps) so he was basically like a spy and a lot of people were like don't really know how he got wrapped up into that like he was a nice charming guy for the most part like i don't know yeah it's a weird thing so um but basically he was a task that said in from the history channel it said that he was originally tasked with planting pro-british and anti-nazi stories in the american press in the hopes of rallying a reluctant united states to join world war ii so it's just to get Hmm. u.s support in in World War Two, like, on Britain's side, just to kind of go anti-Nazi. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, whatever. So, yeah, like I said, he published his first book, Gremlins, in 1943. That was kind of a flop, but in 1946, he published Over to You, 10 Stories of Flyers and Flying, a collection of military stories. Hmm. Um, didn't do very well, but he did achieve bestseller status with his following work, Someone Like You, in 1953, which is a collection of macabre stories for adults, um, which is a lot of his adult works. I'll talk about it um Mm -hmm. but that was followed by kiss kiss in 1959 which is another collection of adult short stories uh a lot of his works are just known for being like fantastical magical imaginative like even with the kids ones like matilda there's you know telekinesis like it's largely based off his childhood um but there's like these fantastical magical elements and a lot of his adult books which are often overlooked they're mostly short stories i don't think he has any novels out but they're also similar to that in that they like they're kind of weird and a little bit like dark um but they kind of like avert your expectations and give this fantastical feel as well Mm. so i recommend reading his short stories he also has a collection of like ghost stories for like adults like horror stories that are really good um i think like he's known for being a you know children's book writer oh and i think he's had a great influence on that like bringing in real life issues to like you know kids stories but his adult stories are also amazing so yeah
1: i didn't even know he had adult stories yeah they're actually
0: really good so that's james and the giant peach and roll doll ah! yes. i think that was a good mashup like ours really went together i think well, so but also they're you see enough. some different things yeah. yeah 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 i talked more about the story elements and you talked more about the visual elements that's so true yeah Yay. all right well that's all Great. for this week guys go watch some you know think about your inner child this week yes. cater to that watch some channel it stop motion movies they're all a little bit... I think stop motion in general is just has a little bit of a creepy
1: vibe anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like,
0: don't, like I said, don't get me fucking started on Polar Express. Oh, I will, God. I will oh out. Oh, God. But they're great. They're yeah. so much fun to watch. Oh, I was going to do a Fuck, Mary Kill. I didn't even think about that. Roll doll books. Matilda, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ooh. I would marry Matilda, just because, like, I love that book as a kid. Yeah. I would fuck Fantastic for Fox, and I'd have to kill Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I'm sorry. That's fair. Yeah, but that's mine. I think I'd have to...
1: Oh, God. I don't want to kill any of those. I know. They're so good. Honestly, I'd have to marry Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, because that Whoa. one I loved as a kid.
0: Whoa. I really loved that I didn't one. expect that from you.
1: Yeah. That was a fave of mine. You seem like a Matilda marrier. I do love Matilda. I'd probably... But that one wasn't as big as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for me.
0: Really? If BFG was in this, that would take the cake. I love BFG. I think most people liked BFG the most. I didn't as much. It is really good, but I don't... I think I read it, like, later on. Like, I was late Uh, to the game on that one. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I guess I'd fuck Fantastic Mr. Fox and kill Matilda, but I don't want to kill Matilda I know they're all good. (gasps)
0: Literally, he has... He, like, does not miss. Like, they're all good. He does not miss. They're all good. Except maybe the Gremlins, which was his first one. But who knows? But look what that turned Um, we could wow. do, like, Fuck, Marry, Kill, Stop Motion, too, if we want to do one for years. Sure. Just, like, m- stop motion movies okay, that aren't yeah. the ones that we did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: We could do, like, Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay.
0: Corpse Bride. Mm-hmm. And
1: Chicken Run. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll do Chicken Run. I
0: would fuck, marry, whatever to Chicken Run. <laughs> you love that. I literally love Chicken Run. That's, that's easy for me, I think. I haven't seen Chicken Run in a long time. I think I'd have to kill it. Ah. Oh! I'm sorry. What the fuck, bro? Um, Well, I don't know. Maybe I'd kill Nightmare Before Christmas, actually. I'm going to kill Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm going to fuck Corpse Bride. I'm going to marry Chicken Run. I love Chicken Run. That's my my guy. That's fair. Your guy. Your chicken. That's my guy. (laughs) That's (laughs)
1: That's my my chicken. chicken.
0: (laughs) I think I'd actually
1: marry Corpse Bride. Yeah. Fuck Chicken Run. just Okay. Cause it's, fun. it's fun. Yeah. And I guess kill Nightmare Before Christmas. Because I like Nightmare Before Christmas, but, you know, things that have a l- too much musical elements. Mm-hmm.
0: What's this? What's this? Although it is. That one's kind of a bop. It is This is Halloween. This is Halloween. Halloween. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed it, guys. hope you learned something. I think we'll be back next week with an episode, but we'll keep you posted. Follow us on Instagram to stay. You know, in the loop if you're liking these episodes. Anyways, Thanks, we'll guys. let you guys know when we're back. Yes. Have a great summer. We'll see you sporadically, I yes. believe. Right, bye. bye.